Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Uh, This morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into it. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke. And... uh, But before we get to the book of Luke, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and simply say at the conclusion of our service this morning, we're going to be partaking of communion. And so I kind of want to set the scene for that as we jump into the book of Luke uh, this morning. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23, it says, Paul says, For I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, uh, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But we're not to stop there. It goes on in verse 28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. And so when we come to communion, it's a time to examine ourselves and take care of wrongs. It's a time to ask for forgiveness. First uh, John 1 John 1.9 tells us that uh, whatever we confess will be forgiven, that he's faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. It's, it's sort of like taking your car or your truck in for a tune-up. But this is a spiritual tune-up. God made us body, soul, and spirit. And I'll tell you, if, if our spirit is tuned up and it's right, it will be well with our soul and it's a whole lot better with our body because it's all interconnected. And so communion is a time for us to come and examine ourselves and not just stay there in the funk that we're in, but to do something about it before the Lord and to prepare our hearts and get ready to receive communion. And really, the message this morning is a little bit on how to do that. Uh, This morning, uh, I'm going to take you back to the old days when we had VHS machines and Betamaxes. Any of you remember those? And it was on tape, and all the tapes would have a little sticker on them that said, Be Kind, Rewind. Remember that? Uh, I started putting stickers like that on the DVDs, but uh, it doesn't have the same impact, you know. Uh, But you can go back and you can go forward. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back so that we can go forward in the book of Luke. And as we do that, our emphasis is going to be on one thing, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And to kind of set that setting... I'm going to read to you an old essay. It's a short essay entitled One Solitary Life. Many of you have already heard this and probably many times, but uh, every time I read it, it has an effect on me. It says, Here's a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. 
He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property that he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty long centuries have come and gone, and today he is a centerpiece of the human race and a leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever been built, all the parliaments that have ever set, and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. And, of course, that solitary life is the life of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at the book of Luke this morning, I want us to rewind a week to Advent. And then I want us to fast forward 33 and a half years uh, uh, to his death. And I want us to see what we might learn from that uh, this morning. I want to start out in Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we have uh, uh, really the story of the nativity and uh, what went on at the birth of Jesus. And I want to start with verse 1. And it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from uh, Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. No room for them in the end. I think many times in our culture today, we read that, that there was no room for Jesus in the end, and and we picture something uh, uh, like uh, there was no room for him at Holiday Inn Express. Uh, There was no room for him at Super 8. There was no room for him at Motel 6. There was no room at the Marriott. He couldn't afford the Doubletree. and, uh, and uh, we could go to Hyatt and uh, Hyatt Place and Hyatt House and we could go to Hilton and so forth. And, and we tend to picture an inn like that. But that was not the picture at all. And I think it's good to get a good picture. And so we're going to see just a little clip out of the movie The Nativity of uh, Joseph and uh, Mary coming into Bethlehem. And I believe it's the best resource I have out there to picture for us what it looked like on the night or the day in which Jesus was born 
in the town of Bethlehem. So turn your attention towards the screen and we'll watch this clip together. Joseph, the child is pressing. The child? Now? Now. Yes. We're very close. Bethlehem. We're here. We will find a place. I promise. God be with you. Is there a place for my wife and me to stay? I'm sorry. There is no room here. that day and age, the homes were largely made out of stone. Uh, in Israel, there is a lot of uh, limestone. And uh, you had uh, really one of three situations going on. Uh, a lot of times, uh, homes would be two stories and a half. And on the bottom floor of the home would be the stable, and the animals would be kept there. And of course, in cooler months, the heat from the animals rising would help the family on the second floor, and they tended to live on the second floor. On the half story that was above that, uh, they would have a guest room, and uh, that guest room was for company and for those that uh, would uh, be visiting, and then there was also usually uh, a patio or a deck there as well. Uh, Some homes were only a story and a half. And the family would live on the main floor, and uh, then they would have that uh, upper room, uh, again, for guests and for special occasions on the second story. And in those cases, many of the stables were simply carved into the hillside. Uh, They didn't have barns like you see in Iowa and Missouri and Kansas and Nebraska and even Colorado. Uh, they They just didn't have the barns. They weren't what we picture today. Even the tomb of Jesus was a tomb that was carved into the limestone wall. And I read where here in 2016 they went in and stripped all the marble out of it that man has put in there and found the limestone to be in exceedingly great shape. 
and they refurbished uh, the empty tomb of Jesus. So uh, you had this kind of situation. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 2, in verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. The inn there is the Greek word katalumatai or katalumata. And it means guest room. It means inn. It means upper room. And it gets translated into all three words in English when it is yet only one word in the Greek. And so we are told that there was no room in the upper room. As we think of that, I think of God... Uh, in heaven, manifesting himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we flip over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the great Gnosis passage, we see that it says that Jesus, although he was God, considered being God not a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself, and he laid that aside, and he came from heaven to earth to dwell amongst us. As Matt said this morning, to tabernacle amongst us, to pitch his tent amongst us, to live amongst us. And in doing that, he set aside all of his godliness. So this person who was fully and completely God set that aside and became fully and completely man, that he might become one of us, and that he might become the second Adam. And as the second Adam, and as a sinless Adam, he could pay the price for what my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
The sky was ordinary. The occasional gusts stirred the leaves and chilled the air. The stars were diamonds sparkling on black velvet. Fleets of clouds floated in front of the moon. It was a beautiful night, a night worth peeking out your bedroom window to admire. But not really an unusual one. No reason to expect a surprise. Nothing to keep a person awake. An ordinary night with an ordinary sky. Now, Peggy and I live up on the side of the Grand Mesa, and last night was New Year's Eve, and at 6 o'clock down Powderhorn, they have a torch parade, and then they shoot off about 15 minutes of fireworks, and some of them light up the whole bowl that uh, Powderhorn is in, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. And last night was a clear night, so over to the right in the western sky, you had what uh, my daughter's always called a toenail moon. You know what that is? You know, there's just a little piece of it out there. Looks kind of like a piece of toenail after you cut it off. And uh, But none of you ever do stuff like that. I know that. Uh, and you had this toenail moon, and then you had this bright, bright star, which you would have thought was Venus or a planet, but was actually a comet that we've been able to see for about the last week. And I thought, how beautiful. You know, the fireworks lighting up the whole mountainside and the snow and the trees and the moon and the comet up there. Well, much like the night in which Jesus came. Although in Bethlehem, I don't think there was any snow on the ground. And it goes on. It says the sheep were ordinary. (laughs) Some were fat, some scrawny, some with barrel bellies, some with twig legs, common animals. No fleeces made of gold here. No history makers, no blue ribbon winners. They were simply sheep, lumpy, sleeping silhouettes on the hillside. And all the shepherds, peasants they were, probably wearing all the clothes they owned, smelling like sheep and looking just as woolly, they were contentious, uh, conscientious, willing to spend the night with their flocks. But you won't find their staffs in a museum nor their writings in a library. No one asked their opinion on social justice or the application of the Torah. They were nameless and simple. An ordinary night with ordinary sheep and ordinary shepherds. And were it not for a God who loves to hook an extra on the front of ordinary, the night would have gone unnoticed. The sheep would have been forgotten and the shepherds would have slept the night away. But God dances amidst the common. And that night he did a waltz. The black sky exploded with brightness. Trees that had been shadows jumped into clarity. Sheep that had been silent became a chorus of curiosity. One minute the shepherds were dead asleep. The next he was rubbing his eyes and staring into the face of an alien. The night was ordinary no more. And then on the subject of the shepherds, Max Licato goes on and he says, Blessed are the meek. Jesus explained, blessed are the available, blessed are the conduits, blessed are the tunnels, blessed are the tools. That's why the announcement went first to shepherds. They didn't ask God if he was sure, if he knew what he was doing. Had the angels gone to theologians, they would have first consulted their commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have looked around to see if anyone was watching. Had he gone to the successful, they would have first looked at their calendars. So he went to shepherds. 
Men who didn't have a reputation to protect or an axe to grind or a ladder to climb. Men who didn't know enough to tell God that angels don't sing to sheep and that messiahs aren't found wrapped in rags and sleeping in a feed trough. A small cathedral outside Bethlehem marks the supposed birthplace of Jesus. And behind a high altar in the church is a cave. A little cave lit by a silver lamps. You can enter the main edifice and admire the ancient church. You can also enter the quiet cave where a star is embedded in the floor that recognizes the birth of a king. There is one stipulation, however. You have to stoop. The door is so low that you cannot go in standing up. The same is true of Christ. You can see the world standing tall, but to witness the Savior, you have to get down on your knees. So while theologians were sleeping and the elite were dreaming and the successful were snoring, the meek were kneeling. They were kneeling before the only one the meek will see. They were kneeling in front of Jesus, the Savior. What a night. What a night. And yet, on that night, there was no room in the inn. Uh, Anyone here ever hear of a magazine called Reader's Digest? Okay, I used to read Reader's Digest. I haven't seen one in quite a long time. And and they, they had two copies of it, one for normal-sighted people, and then they had one in giant large print that you could read, and I remember my grandpa having one of those. In Reader's Digest, there was a true story one year about a little boy named Tommy. Tommy had Down syndrome. And back in the day and age when uh, Tommy lived and went to school, they didn't have special needs classes. Instead, uh, they just kind of held you back. And so Tommy was in the third grade, although he should have been a a freshman in high school. And so he was kind of a lot larger than his schoolmates. And it came time for the annual Christmas pageant. Uh, In our country, you used to be able to have Christmas pageants uh, at uh, public schools. And in fact, I went to Grossmont High School in San Diego. Now, don't hold that against me. I was born in Denver, Colorado, okay? But I went to high school at Grossmont High School in uh, La Mesa, uh, down in San Diego. And one of the huge things every year was uh, uh, the Christmas pageant. And whoever got to star as the Madonna, that was really something special. I mean, that went in the yearbook, okay? Uh, I was a shepherd in the Christmas pageant, and that went in the yearbook. Uh, uh, They sold tickets. It raised lots of money for the school. Uh, You could do that back in the 60s. And so this was one of those kinds of Christmas pageants. And the teachers wondered what part could Tommy play. And they decided that he would play the innkeeper because he had only one line. And his line was, there's no room. And he was bigger than all the other kids. And they thought at the, at the door that would look very forceful. And, and that would be a great part for Tommy. So the night of the Christmas play came, and this was the kind of town, and uh, sort of like over in Price, Utah, and maybe out in Loma where, where you had one grade school, and, and uh, pretty much the whole town was there for the play. And here came Joseph and Mary, and they came up to the door, and they knocked on the door, and Tommy opens it, and his presence was kind of overwhelming, and he says, there's no room. And Joseph and Mary turned to walk away. 
Well, those that were setting up in the front seats could see Tommy, and they could see that there were tears streaming down his face. And Tommy said, he went a little off script here, he said, wait, wait, come back. You can have my room. And it came from his heart. Well, there were people that night that left uh, feeling that the Christmas play was a, a catastrophe, that, that Tommy had ruined it. And yet there were others who left that night feeling, a, feeling that it was the best Christmas play they had ever seen, that Tommy had made it. When he said, wait, wait, come back, you can have my room. There was no room for Jesus. No room except a manger, a stable, the place where the animals lived. Some have said that Jesus was content with a stable when he was born so that we might have a mansion when we die. If we look at uh, John chapter 14, he tells us that he goes to prepare a place for us. And he says, in, in my father's house, in the King James, he says, there are many mansions. In the New American Standard, it says, there are many dwelling places. And he goes to prepare a place for us. And in Revelation, we get a little bit of an insight into the New Jerusalem. And we see that it's 1,500 miles long by 1,500 miles wide by 1,500 miles high. Think of the elevator ride in that city. Can you? I mean, that's from San Diego, California to Seattle, Washington, stretching over to Kansas City, Missouri. That's a pretty big foundation, isn't it? And then 1,500 miles high. Think of the luxury condos in that place, my friends. Think of what God is preparing for us. And yet when he came to earth, there was no room for him. Now, let's flip over to his death. Let's fast forward 33 and a half years or so. Uh, Fast forward and we come to Luke chapter 22. And this is just before his death. They're getting ready to celebrate the Seder meal out of which communion comes. And as they're getting ready to celebrate that, it is at the end of that meal that Jesus will go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He'll pray. He'll he'll pray so passionately and earnestly that he sweats great drops of blood. And he says to the Father, and remember, he's fully man now. He says, he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it pass. He knew what was in front of him. But then he said, yet, nevertheless... Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And so setting the stage for this where he is arrested in the garden and taken and tried and then crucified, uh, as he sets it up, it says in verse 7 of Luke 22, Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare a Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters, and you will say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room that I might eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. 
And they left and they found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. As we look at this passage, we see that it was going to be easy for Peter and John to find a guy carrying a pitcher of water because, quite frankly, and this is not meant to offend anyone, but in that day and age, that was woman's work. Men didn't do that. And in some parts of our society, work has been divided by gender. I found this out when I visited uh, Australia. I was sitting next to Glenda Weldon, and in Australia, uh, the Weldon family is the same as the Random House family here in America. They are the leading publisher in the country of Australia. And I'm sitting next to Mrs. Weldon, to Glenda, and I finish my evening tea which we would call supper. They have supper at 10 o'clock at night, which I'm not sure what we'd call that. But, but uh, this was at the regular evening meal time, evening tea. I'd finished, and I collected my plate, as I'd been trained to do, and my silverware, and I started to carry it to, uh, to the kitchen. And, and Glenda Wilden stood up, and she says, Doug Grogan, you put that down. This is women's work. I said, glory, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I came home, told that story, and although we were offered a position in Australia, Peggy said, I'm not going. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I understood. I understood. Uh, you know, in the homes in Australia, there are no dishwashers. I mean, mechanical dishwashers. <laughs> they, they, uh, they still divvy things out, uh, and the men don't do a whole lot. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, don't move there. Uh, stay here. Uh, but, but see, men didn't carry water pitchers. And so he stood out like a sore thumb. They followed him to this home, and they said the, the master uh, would like the guest room. He would like the upper room. You know what word that is in the Greek? Katalumatai. Katalumatai. The very thing that Jesus was denied in his birth, he asked for in his death. That's the only thing he wanted. He wanted the guest room. He wanted the upper room so that he could share the Passover meal uh, with his disciples. Now, when it came to the Passover meal, the Seder meal, and you can still go to Jewish temples and synagogues today and get a book that will take you through a Seder service. Uh, the first thing that happens is that a feather in a dustpan is given to the woman of the house and some leaven or yeast is left out in the open that she can go collect. And in that day and age, she threw it into the fire. Uh, today, they throw it into the trash can if there's no fire or whatever. And you see, leaven in Scripture is always a symbol of sin. It contaminates everything that it touches. It affects everything that it touches. And so the woman has that duty, and that is how the Seder meal begins. And I ask you, how did Jesus enter the, uh, the, the world? Through the seed of the woman, right? He was born of the virgin. He was born of Mary. And so it is up to the woman to remove the sin, the leaven, from the house. You see, in the Seder meal... The actual Seder meal, they, they serve matzo, unleavened bread. It, uh, it's pierced for baking. It has brown scorch marks on it from the baking. 
It has no leaven in it, so it's more like a cracker. You hold it up to the light, and you can see the pierced marks. And, of course, in Isaiah 53, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And we know that in him there was no sin. That's why he could take my place. That's why he could take your place. That's why he became the Passover lamb. As John the Baptist said all the way back in John chapter 2, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He became the ultimate sacrifice. Now, today in communion, we have bread that has leaven in it. And that's so that when we put it in the juice, it will soak up the juice. It does much better than a cracker, okay? But that is okay because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21... Scripture tells us this, it says, He made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is why he was separated from the Father. Because the sin of humanity past, the sin of humanity present, the sin of humanity future, my sin, your sin, all fell upon him. And the Father had to turn his head away. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he took my sin, your sin, the sin of the world, upon his shoulders. And then he said, It is finished. And he gave it all up. So, we see a picture that he desired in his death that which he had uh, been denied in his birth. We find that the one who gave his life a ransom for many, the one who shed his very blood for our transgressions and our sins, had but one desire in his death, and that desire was for the upper room. It was for the guest room. Now, in America today, we have closed the Lord out of a lot of places and institutions. When I went to sixth grade in Topeka, Kansas, at Gage Elementary School, the teacher would begin every morning by reading to us out of Herbert's Stories of the Bible. (laughs) That doesn't happen anymore, folks. It's even hard to pray in school anymore. Uh, Cities are sued for putting up copies of the Ten Commandments and teaching values and morals. Uh, I remember just back in the the 70s and the 80s in uh, Kailua, Hawaii, where I pastored, where we planted a church. Uh, One of the other things I did was serve as a Honolulu Police Department chaplain. And uh, half a dozen times a year, I would be invited to come and, 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 and pronounce an invocation, opening prayer for the state legislature at the Capitol in Honolulu. And back in those days, even in Hawaii, <laughs> they began with prayer. And, and they asked God to, to come in and be a part. But uh, it seems to me, the older I've gotten, and I'm, I'm not complaining, but it seems that there has been less and less room created for Jesus in our society. In fact, it got so bad that people weren't even saying Merry Christmas. It was Happy Holidays. <laughs> 
I don't know if it was an election or what caused it, but I heard more Merry Christmases this year than I've heard in a long time. And I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because it is Christmas. It is Christ's Mass that we celebrate. Okay? But no room. No room. So the thing that he asked for in his, in his death is simply what he was denied in his birth, a room. Now, I want to flip a little bit further forward to Luke chapter 24 and simply look at a little story after his death and resurrection. We find that after his resurrection, after he was seen by the women, after he was seen by some of the disciples, that there was a couple And I believe they were a couple, husband and wife. Uh, They had come to Jerusalem for the holy days, for Passover. And and they had experienced all that had gone on with with Jesus and and with the crucifixion. And and they were walking home to to their home. It would be like here if, if, if somebody lived in Colburn and they came to Grand Junction for the festivities. And they didn't have an automobile, they're walking home. It's about a day's walk, a day's journey. And they're going home to Emmaus. And this stranger joins them, and, and they don't know who he is, but he walks with them, and, and they start talking about everything that's happened in Jerusalem. And, and he begins to explain from the Scriptures and from the prophets why it had to happen. And they get to their home. And in verse 28, this is what it has to say in Luke 24. Verse 28, And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them, and when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the Scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Interesting thing, whenever you see a picture of, of, uh, of this, uh, it's usually the couple from the back, and so it could easily be a husband and wife. They get to their home, and here's a stranger. He appears as though he's going uh, further, and they invite him in. He comes in, and once he comes in, there's, there's a real transformation. He takes the seat of honor. He takes the seat of the host. It's their bread, but he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he serves it to them, and their eyes are open, and they see Jesus. And this tired couple, who were ready to call it a day, they open the door, and I believe they run back to Jerusalem, and they meet the disciples in the upper room, and they share what had happened out of their passion and their enthusiasm for what they had heard and seen. Think of that. I'd like you to turn over to one other verse, or I can simply read it for you. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And these are words of Jesus where he simply says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. 
Now, there are pictures of Jesus standing at the door knocking too. I used to see him in quite a few churches. The interesting thing about the painting of this verse is that you'll never find a door handle or a doorknob on the outside of the door. Jesus comes to the door and he knocks. The doorknob or the door handle is on the inside of the door. And you have to open the door and you have to invite him in, just as the couple on the road to Emmaus did. You see, Jesus will never come where he's not invited. (laughs) You know, I marvel at the fact that sometimes we say, God bless America. (laughs) But in order to know God's blessings, you've got to live in a blessable position. And that means we open the door. And we let God in. And we let him reign. That means that what he was denied in his birth, no room, And what he desired in his death, which was the upper room, needs to be ours to give to him. If we are to invite him in as Savior, we have got to open the door to our heart. And if we ask him to come in, he will. But, you see, he not only wants to be our Savior, he also wants to be our Lord. And for that, he wants the upper room. He wants the guest room. He doesn't want to be relegated to some linen closet or to the back porch. He, he wants all of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about the fact that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the treasure is the Spirit of God, His indwelling presence. And he he not only desires to indwell us, but he desires to fill us to overflowing if we allow him. This is why in Galatians 5.25, it says, If you live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. If I can say this, Jesus wants the whole enchilada when it comes to my life and your life. He wants the whole deal. He wants room. And yet it seems to me that as a people, we have forced him to smaller, smaller, small. We, we put him in the linen closet, kind of bring him out when it's convenient. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to. When my mom passed away, uh, we, we, we had her cremated, and uh, that was out in California. She was eventually buried by her parents uh, in Missouri and oversaw that. She has a very nice tombstone, and it was all done respectfully and so forth. But my brother had her in a safe, and I went out to visit in San Diego, and he says, we had mom for Thanksgiving. We think you ought to have her for Christmas. <laughs> so I had her in her urn, and uh, I took her back uh, on carry-on baggage on the airplane, and, and I even asked the flight attendant if uh, she should have a seatbelt. Uh, uh, and that got everyone going around. And Every time we hit turbulence, someone would tell me, hey, you better get up and check on your mom because she was in the overhead compartment, you know. But we brought her home, and it was uh, a few months before we had the internment, so she was in the guest room closet. And when anyone uh, started to stay too long, like 11, 12 at night, I'd say, hey, have you ever met my mom? They'd go, no, we'd love to sometime. I said, wonderful, let me go get her. Yeah, I bring her out and set her down on the coffee table. And, uh, man, 
you can't believe how quickly the place empties. <laughs> well, mom was in heaven, so mom didn't care. And, uh, and I, had, uh, I had good fun. But we had to make room for mom. <laughs> and she was in the guest room hall closet for a time. The Lord doesn't want the guest room hall closet or the guest room closet. He wants the whole enchilada. And so my question today as we partake of communion is simply this. Have we made room for Jesus? If you're here today and you've never asked him into your heart and life to be your Lord and Savior, that's all you have to do. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says we need to believe with our heart and confess with our mouth, period. And then in verse 13 it says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Isn't that great? You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. That, that's why we give gifts at Christmas time, because the greatest gift that ever was was given, our Savior, who gives us eternal life. But he wants more than just that. He wants the whole room. He wants to be Lord of our life as well as Savior of our life. Now, just before we partake in communion, Jesus comes, he gets the guest room, he has the upper room, it comes to the Seder meal. Uh, the, the woman removes the sin. Uh, uh, that happens. And then the next thing that happens is they have what they call a unity, a little box, and it has three pieces of matzo in it. And even to this day, they take the center piece of the matzo. Now, isn't that kind of neat that the Trinity is on the, on the, on the Seder meal table? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they take the middle one, they break it, and they put it into a cloth envelope. Uh, uh, today, some of them are made out of plastic, but it's called an offgoman. And that broken middle piece of, of matzo is hidden for the meal, and after the meal is all eaten, the kids are sent to go look for it, and they find it, and they bring it back, they open the envelope, they take out the broken piece, and they pass it around, and they eat it. And this is the peace that Jesus took at the end of the meal. And he held it up, and they could see the light shining through it, and they could see the bruise marks. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he didn't end there, because after the offcoman comes a, a cup of wine, a cup of blessing known as the cup of Elijah. And and they go and they open the door and they raise the cup to Elijah. And the reason they call it the cup to Elijah is because remember how Elijah died? He didn't. <laughs> he went up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And so they open the door and it's symbolic of Elijah coming back. It's symbolic of, of the Messiah coming. They open the door. This is really a, a cup in expectation of the Messiah. And Jesus raises the cup and he says, this is my blood which is shed for you. And if we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, <laughs> he sees our sin no more. Totally forgotten. Amen? What a Christmas gift. And so... What I want you to remember this morning as we examine ourselves and prepare our heart to come and partake of communion is simply this. Does he have the upper room? 
does he have room in my life? As we start this year of 2017, we don't know what it holds. We only know who holds it. And we can trust him, right? But as we begin it, the thing that he desires most is the upper room in our hearts and lives. So we're going to pray, and and a couple of our elders and their spouses are going to come and hold the elements, and there's gluten-free bread in the middle here if you need it. Uh, And we're going to end our service by taking communion. And I want you to come and take your bread and and dip it into the juice, symbolic of the blood, and go back to your chair and, and on your own partake this morning. Because when we come to Jesus Christ, we do it individually. My grandpa couldn't do it for me. My dad couldn't do it for me. Neither could my mom. I had to do it for myself. And when it comes to giving him the upper room, there's no doorknob on the outside of our hearts. Only I can open the door to that and say, Lord, you you have all the rooms. You be Lord of my life. And so as you sit and you partake it individually, I want to encourage you, and I encourage myself. Let's say, Lord, for 2017, you have it all. You have it all. You have what you were denied in your birth. You have the upper room in my heart and life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, as we bow our heads this morning, uh, we thank you for the wonderful gift of your Savior. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus was willing to leave heaven for earth. And he was willing to be uh, born in a manger. And he was willing to be raised in a town like uh, Nazareth. I thank you, Lord, that he was willing to go to the cross in my place. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that, that, that can live his life through me and in me if I'll allow you to do that. And Lord, I thank you for the reminder of that on the communion table. I thank you for the bread that is a picture of his body that was broken for me, and I ask that you bless the bread. I thank you for the juice, the the cup that is a picture of his blood that was shed for me that, that washes away my sin and makes me white as snow. I pray that you bless the juice as well as we partake. And Lord, uh, may this be a year, 2017, where, where you are on the throne in our lives. And, and Lord, we're not only a community of faith here at River of Life Church, but, but we're a body that impacts the community outside of us, realizing that, that we are the only Jesus some will ever see. And they'll only see that if he has the upper room in our hearts and lives. And so, Lord, bless us as we partake together around your table this morning. We'll give you praise, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.